Our guest today is Lena Rensevich, a startup founder and serial entrepreneur who's had a varied international career in Eastern Europe and now in London. Lena's expertise in mentoring startups and building businesses from the ground up have given her a great deal of experience around recruitment and how to develop and nurture talent. Looking around at how recruitment is traditionally done, applicants sending in a CV, listing their accomplishments, tasks, and roles, Lena realized that one of the most important factors to a person's long-term success, their personality and soft skills, is an afterthought at best. Lena decided it was time to shake up how recruitment is done. Lena's latest venture is a revolutionary new app called Reputy, which focuses on tracking and evidencing people's soft skills as a way of giving a more in-depth or rounded view of a potential employee's skills. This can be used by employers as another important data point to help them recruit the right people for their organizations. Is it time we all started to rethink recruitment? Lena certainly thinks so. Welcome to the podcast, Lena. We are delighted to talk to you today. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Invited me. You know, we're so excited to talk about this because it's such an important part of our working life. And, you know, for the podcast, we are very focused on, you know, women in particular and what our working life is like. So recruitment's really important, especially as we're getting older. So we wanted to talk about, is there some kind of broader movement that you have noticed um, to rethink recruitment? And there's something in the marketplace happening that, or are you in reputee trailblazers? Are you finding a new niche? Well, that, um, since our life became very fluid and careers become fluid. So everything becomes very, very flexible. And even such conservative spaces as recruitment and all the existing tools like CVs and uh, job management platforms are morphing into new shapes. Uh, so why not the trailblazers? There are other platforms that are transitioning into a new space. So there are niche matching platforms. There are Recruitment platforms are helping you to find anonymous employees. In the crypto world, for example, LinkedIn is adding soft skills to people's profiles. So everything is moving. There are flexible work platforms. So people are getting back to the human side of employees instead of looking at their professional capabilities and uh, degrees. So we're not the first in this space, but I think we're still revolutionary. Isn't it? Mm. <laughs> I like yeah. the sound of revolutionary, definitely. I mean, that's interesting about LinkedIn. I mean, I, I read an article in The Independent from earlier this year, and it was saying about putting your soft skills on your CV, which I don't know is, is I mean, we've kind of always done that, but in a, these are my project management skills, but not actually really talking about how you use those project management skills so not really not really the soft skills so it's there's definitely a movement isn't there there's change as opposed to being embarrassed uh, that we had soft skills I think that's a great observation because Lena I'd like to really sort of dig into like how are you defining soft skills so there are lots of definitions in the space and the more I meet people at various London events, the more I understand that people don't know soft skills. So every time I try to explain what we're doing, they say, oh, soft skills, what is soft skill? Just could you give me a few examples? And then I start with, well, leadership, crit critical thinking, empathy. So we normally don't differentiate between the hard and soft skills and hard and soft skills sound as depreciation of our core or human skills. And this term was coined by Simon Sinek. He said, we, we uh, don't want to call them soft skills because they are really uh, the backbone of our personality. So he prefers the term human skills. I also hear the term core skills or 
power skills or employability skills. So it is something that is transferable uh, that helps us transition in the in our careers, in our lives, in our lifestyle. So it stays with us and the rest you can learn. You can learn coding, you can learn painting or construction works. It doesn't matter, but we learn easier utilizing our core skills. I, I'll give you an example. So Maybe in my early 40s, I was partnering with a bunch of people who doing research in psychometrics and they're building another startups. And they said, well, would you like to be diagnosed for your personality? And said, I said, of course, yes. So I That's thought, scary. <laughs> that was scary to know, to know the truth about yourself after, after you, you've built some careers in your life and some businesses. So I thought, well, yes, professional orientation would be really good at this <laughs> So I passed eight different online tests and then uh, they triangulated the results and they um, created a summary of my personality. And I'll give you just two facts. So I was diagnosed with hyper empathy and critical. Oh, and that's a serious diagnosis, isn't it? I mean, you, you <laughs> yeah. should treatment for that. <laughs> Sometimes it makes your life harder. So what was it? Hyper empathy. And what was the second one? And systems thinking. Oh, fascinating. Interesting combination. And when I looked into my past and at all the occupations and professions that I had and education and hobbies, I thought, well, systems thinking is really a backbone because I, I was learning architecture and design as a system by myself. I was studying music uh, for eight years, which is another system. I studied languages. I studied marketing and management, obviously entrepreneurship. Now I'm studying startup life. So it's all about understanding the system. And it doesn't matter. I don't know what my next profession is, but once I have the skill, I can probably grasp the new space quite easily. And I also worked in consultancy with various businesses from the crypto world, logistics, furniture production, medicine, and you name it. So for a consultant, it's really essential to be able to understand the system very quickly and to find the right reports, the right data points to, to create a vision of the future and, and to be able to, to problem solve. And empathy helps to know people, to, to meet the right people, to to read the room when you are networking at an event, to find the right people, to build a rapport. So it's all about sensitivity uh, among the human beings. So <laughs> I really like the definitions that you've had of soft skills, like core skills and human skills. Because when in preparation for this interview, I mean, I thought I knew what soft skills were, though I've learned a bit and I'm going to learn a lot more in this conversation. But the first definition I got of soft skills, it said they are non-technical skills. And I thought, well, that's nice. So technical skills, your deep knowledge of a subject that you learn, that's normal and soft skills are not normal. Just to refer to the latest report uh, from the World Economic Forum, who listed top 10 skills for the future of work. So it's analytical thinking, creative thinking, Resilience, flexibility, and agility as one skill. Motivation and self-awareness, curiosity, and lifelong learning. Technological literacy, well, it's closer to a professional skill. Dependability and attention to detail. Empathy and active listening. Leadership and social influence and quality control. So wow, that, that's amazing. <laughs> Finally, I'm qualified for something. <laughs> My core <laughs> skills are in demand. It's only taken 50 years. Brilliant. 
Do you think you were talking about these being innate? Do you think you can learn them? Because when I've been in the presence of somebody at work who's particularly good at this, good at negotiation, good at empathising with people, and I definitely think I've picked up things along the way where I've seen somebody in a negotiation or in a difficult situation managing time on a project or you know with a group of people and listening to the language that they use I've later adopted that myself because I thought that's a really good way of doing it or is that my innate soft skills learning (laughs) thinking that that's good and just adding to them I don't know what do we think well I I need a lot of experts and coaches who train soft skills and one of them I had a wonderful experience with Minta Dial who wrote two books about empathy and AI and we held an in-person immersive session with 24 other highly vetted experts in different areas of life so we have business founders, C-level people, psychologists, business coaches, uh, artists photographers so quite a matrix of people with different perspectives and we suggested them an an exercise in the empathy it was about active listening and decoding the other person's speech and then we're ideating and sharing ideas about what sorts of empathy we can notice for example there's cognitive empathy and there's emotional empathy when you feel what the other person feels Whereas cognitive is about understanding why the person feels and acts like that. So it could be purely transactional and technical knowledge. Let's say if you're a doctor, you may not feel the pain of the patient because you have your own mission to help the patient. You know the diagnosis, you know how to treat it. So you don't necessarily have to sympathize or to empathize. But emotional empathy is about your visceral state so when you resonate with another person when you feel like you find yourself in the same situation being in trauma for example or experiencing extreme joy or a new relationship so this is emotional empathy and Minta and other experts say that you can learn empathy it takes time It's not for everyone, but at least the cognitive level of empathy is really attainable. And there are lots of books about that. And and it's mostly done via practice. And we're also talking about artificial empathy, which is heavily used in customer service departments, in in support teams, when we think we're talking to a human in the chat on on a website. But in fact, it's, it's a bot that has been trained on the best practice in the team. So it, it's heavily used in, in the medical sphere. What? They're not real? <laughs> well, some of them would be real, but some uh, bots uh, show better empathy, especially to patients, than humans. Because us as humans, we, we become tired, we feel the pain, we sometimes feel frustrated or we don't know what to say. We don't have this wide vocabulary of phrases that help people to, to feel this um, relief. Whereas bots are trained on the best practice. So they listen to the best doctors, the best customer support managers, and they replicate their phrases and they create their own vocabulary. Yeah, that's interesting. I definitely know from my own experience that learning at least cognitive empathy for sure, you know, I've, I've, you know, when I was young and inexperienced, 
I just didn't imagine other reasons why people would want things or do things or how it would help customers or users. I just couldn't imagine it. And so over time, I learned how to think about, you know, other people's perspectives and and why things mattered differently or why people cared about things differently. What I've also discovered is it's it's about a framework as well, isn't it? You know, it's like what Caroline was saying is you get a vocabulary, you get a framework, but it's also a mindset. That's what I've also found is that you have to decide that you want to be empathetic towards other people and then you're willing to learn. I guess that's sort of the learning mindset or the growth mindset. What do you think? What's been your experience? Yes, absolutely. So I I can give another example from the sales space. I recently attended um, an HR conference uh, for the in-house recruiters and there was a startup helping to recruit salespeople in large quantities. So what they do, they listen to the conversations of the best salespeople, they read their emails, they analyze the sentiment, the tone of voice, the vocabulary, they create their internal library of phrases, and then they offer uh, the new candidates to, to do the tests, online tests, answering certain questions about sales or interacting with artificial customers, and then they compare the answers with the best practice. So this is the story when the company create their own sample of the best performing um, employees and AI is trained on this sample. It's not big, but I'm sure it is amplified by the global practice. So they saw some other data, but this is what the company wants to encode, including their values, their culture code, their vocabulary and whatnot. And, And they recruit based on this benchmark. That's really interesting. In that case, we've established that soft skills can be learned. You start from an innate toolkit that you're, you know, that you've got, you can improve on it. How do you measure it? That's always the hardest thing. Yes. So if we get back to empathy, it's the hardest skill to measure and to calibrate because it's something uh, very human, very unpredictable. (laughs) You can't box it. But there are modern tools that track your eye movement, um, you analyze your body motion, your gestures, your the speed of your reaction, your vocabulary, your sentiment, your blood pressure. So how you react with your body to a certain situation or to a trigger and uh, what conclusions you make during the conversation. So everything can be done literally in Zoom when you apply the tool. In the end, you can get a summary of everyone's empathy level which is not precise, but at least it tells you something. Because I think my empathy level changes <laughs> in certain situations. Like I, I, I can feel it sometimes draining from my body, like with certain <laughs> colleagues. I, I might have great empathy for them at the beginning of that working relationship, but the number of problems along the way, my empathy sort of can reduce. So I think it would depend. If you measured mine, it would depend on where we were <laughs> on a particular yes. project or with a particular person. <laughs> Same with me. So, yeah. <laughs> during the session, we agreed that the level of empathy would depend on your intention during a, a human interaction, whether you want to uh, to get some benefit of it uh, from this do you want to help another person do you want to learn better so what's your intention why are we all here certainly (laughs) does seem to be a very difficult thing to measure i was thinking of um 
the American sitcom, The Big Bang Theory, where the main character, Sheldon Cooper, obviously his interpersonal relationships, his empathic skills are limited. But his mother has taught him that when somebody is upset, you make them a hot beverage. And this is a constant theme throughout the show. He says, would you like a hot beverage? He says, when anyone's bursting into tears or being, you know. And I think, I always think this is really nice. It's like, he's tried, he's learned that this is what you should do, even though he doesn't really understand why. And actually, a lot of the show is about him developing his soft skills and his empathy and his relationships with people and understanding it because he doesn't understand it instinctively as well as others. Socially, we all learn certain soft skills, don't we? Like starting a meeting in a polite way. Mm-hmm. Do these do these feature in your app? That's what I want to know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we will encode some some plugs, as you said, if you know how to fix things. You can apply your cognitive empathy and, you know, well, here's the problem. Here's the solution. It should work in 90 percent of cases. <laughs> <laughs> you can have a hot beverage button, a <laughs> little symbol for it. For yeah, send someone a hot beverage. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Well, we are still building, building the methodology and uh, we're engaging a lot of people who'd like to share their thoughts and, and their research summaries or their crazy ideas about how we can quantify every soft skills and how we can evidence the skill, measure the skill if needed. Maybe we don't need to measure empathy. So there was a strong opinion of a bunch of experts during the work session that they said, why should we measure it? We just live with it. We just perceive it. We practice it. We can analyze the derivatives of every skill. For example, if you have high empathy and you were participating in a group discussion, then after that, you came up with brilliant ideas. You you created something new because you sensed your customer or you sensed. Uh, yeah. part I, think, you know, I think that's the key, isn't it? It's how you use your empathy to deal with the situation yeah. and what the outputs are, whether it's dealing with sensitively with a colleague or having those great creative ideas. Yes, it's not about the virtue signaling or wearing a T-shirt saying I'm an empath. An empath. <laughs> it's about how you use it and whether you use it. So you may not give it a name, but you yeah. can be utilizing it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So just thinking about the app. So tell us about the app and, and what are you trying to achieve? Because it's a fascinating area. What's the gap in the market and what are you trying to do? So I'll give you some data points. 57% of recruiters struggle to assess uh, human skills and 89% of bad hires happen because of the mismatch of soft skills. Hmm. That's that's what we call, yeah, and that's what we call fit, right? I think that's when in recruitment we say they were a bad fit. And every bad hire would cost the company about £100,000. Wow. That £100,000 is like over the over a period of time or like a year or what, what does that number mean? On average, during the first six months, the person will show their capacity and the company would understand whether it, it is a good fit or not. During this time, the salaries would be paid, recruiters would be paid, profit would be lost if it's a bad time. The team would be traumatized. A lot of resources from the team members would be spent their time on onboarding the new person, on 
stage and then the new rules, introductions and everything, software resources, workspace organization. So, so if you calculate all these resources and the cost of every person's time per hour, you would come up to this average figure. It definitely depends on the seniority of the role. Yeah, it's a, it's a good benchmark because it really signals, and we've all seen this happen, haven't we? You know, we've seen bad well, hires and the cost. Yeah. And the, and they take up a lot of people's time, don't they? Because you do, you want to make it work. So more people get involved. Yeah. So uh, answering your question, that was the first sign. So I started discovering the data uh, and reading the reports about hiring and thinking, well, there is a huge pain. People can't find a proper job, especially Gen Z, because they are following their passion. They want to feel some joy every day and not just work for money. On the, on the other hand, um, HRs are struggling to find the right people. So there's scarcity of roles and scarcity of resources. On the other hand, so how can we balance this? And I have re recruiting experience myself, and I was also applying for jobs. I was filtering people in the in the hospitality business. So I, I did a lot of things. Uh, I'm a human person, so I, I like empowering people <laughs> in general. And I thought, well, how can we improve this? How can we make people happier? And then I was thinking about the silent talent, about introverts like me. Well, I learned how to communicate myself, but originally I was a very shy person. And somebody told me then, oh, look, you really have th these and these skills, or you're probably a good fit for that or that role. Don't be shy, just shout, just talk about yourself. And said, no, this is the way I was raised. I know a lot of shy talent who, who have low communication skills. They can build code, for example, they they can create music, they can do scientific research, but they wouldn't publish anything on their social media. And society doesn't receive this talent, so there's no benefit for the society. And these people are slightly frustrated because they are under undervalued by the society. They are invisible, the silent geniuses. I thought about these people and with this new trend of diversity and inclusion and so I, I started learning about best practices and how diversity and inclusion initiatives can empower teams and it's all about the diversity of viewpoints perspectives experience so what companies really want to bring is the diversity of our mindset experience so i thought how we can help companies bring this diversity and how can we make every voice heard and every personality visible? So these are the three angles that I approached the problem and I thought, well, what can we do without dealing with scorings or without owning people's data? How can we meet the GDPR policy? So how can we create a safe, thriving and non-traumatic space for a person to help them understand their skills, grow skills and evidence skills and increase their employability or chances to attract investment. As a founder, I, I truly understand that at, at this early stage, investors look at me as a founder and at our team, whether we are capable of delivering the, the product. So who are we as personalities? Yes, I see this all the time on Dragon's Den, don't you? That TV, BBC TV program where they go, I like you, don't they? I don't know whether I like that conclusion or not, because are they ignoring other skills or are they just looking for somebody dynamic and confident? It is. Bearing in mind, it is a TV program, but I presume this happens <laughs> in real life as well. 
there's a lot of truth in it because we are human beings. We we can't explain why we act. So there's a lot of uh, the influence of instincts and the mirror effect. I see me in another person and I think he or she would be as successful as myself because I'm an investor already sitting in this panel, for example. Mm. You can't explain the reaction sometimes, but there are also other decent people who don't know how to shine on the stage. They don't speak well, but they can deliver. We can amplify these voices. We can help them. them. The interview process can be brutal, but you are trying to fit into a structure, a, a structure of questions that are being asked. And I think the interview process, job interviews, They've developed in a way that essentially it is perhaps it's fairer measuring people on certain skills that come from the job specification. But I also feel it narrows it as well. And it's very hard for people to perform within that structure. That ties exactly to what I understand Reputee is trying to fill the gap, which is the traditional model focuses too much on technical skills, and it just doesn't think about these other soft skills that we've been talking about, which are, it's, you know, two halves of the whole person. This is Eve's favorite subject, by the way. (laughs) Isn't it? Come on over. It really is. Yeah. (laughs) It It really is. is your favorite subject. Throughout my career, I've always understood the value of soft skills, even though it was not necessarily valued either in job interviews or certain situations, because I could understand, like you gave the example of leadership, you know, the the type of leadership that you demonstrate, people will follow you or they won't. And so depending on the context you're in, different leadership styles work. Well, that's a really important skill to be able to turn on and turn off depending on the situation. So I've also, for example, led people who have technical skills that I don't have. And it's all about knowing how to help those people succeed rather than knowing as much as they do or more. And it's a very different way of leading. And and so I've really understood the power of all those things, but they haven't really been traditionally valued. And I, I want to see what you think, Lena, is that I have perceived over the past sort of 15, 20 years, management literature around coaching and and you know leadership styles and management styles has really shifted from these more very masculine harder kind of perspectives of how to lead and how to you know to apply things at work and so the the emphasis on those skills has shifted towards the soft skills and a recognition that there is a lot of power there to get things done and and acknowledging the whole person has to come as part of it what do you, what's your perception of what's been happening Yes. So I think professional skills, especially technical skills, were very much in demand demand during the Industrial Revolution, when factories were being built, conveyors invented, so mass-scale productions. These enterprises needed people with specific technical or professional skills. But now what we see at the moment is that Industrial Revolution needs personal intelligence, the term was coined by Nikita Mikhailov, who is a psychologist. He runs a sci-pop community in London. And he says, well, this is fundamental. You need to understand yourself. It's not about emotional intelligence or professional intelligence, personal intelligence. So know yourself first and then profile yourself or build your lifestyle, build your careers. So this is the key knowledge that we need to acquire or to reclaim after having trained ourselves professionally. And I totally agree because if you look at the recent 
Forbes report about the trends in the workspace, they say that skill-based hiring is up 63% during the last year. So companies value experience over degrees. Skills become the new currency of the labor market. Interesting. Yes, yeah, so it's not about your about the framework of your professional experience. So a lot of students come from the university as very conditioned personalities, so they don't look outside of their role. They think, okay, I was trained as a business analyst, I will stay there for years, or I'm not interested in anything else, or maybe I don't fit any other role. But the reality is that the presence of work is already fluid. Everything is flexible. We live and work in hybrid places. There's hybrid, a hybrid learning trend, apprenticeships, mentorships, blended learning, pop-up campuses, boot camps, spaces. So everything is very volatile and flexible. And uh, we can also think about humans and bots as a new blended workspace. So we'll need to learn how to interact with AI and bots and how to merge the teams. That's going to terrify people that fresh. Yeah, I'm feeling a little nervous. They get really upset about it, don't they? I mean, my husband, every now and again, he whispers to Alexa, frankly, I welcome our robot overlords just to keep in with the AI domination. So to know that he's the favourite in the household. Yes, Runs the household. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't, but you know, he Alexa likes does. Alexa is the next head of household. So the report says that human skills are uh, the new hard skills. So we really must focus on that because a lot of professions will be replaced by AI. And obviously, we'll have a lot of free time to reflect upon ourselves, upon our hobbies, to follow our passions. So we're entering an interesting space. And then you can take the ESG reports, the social and governance aspect of everything, of every corporate activity. So social is really important and it was underestimated. I think we're entering a good space now. It's kind of exciting and scary. And obviously on the podcast, we're very much focused on the experience of people working in the second half of their lives. And I think when you've started your working life in a very traditional environment, the idea of all of this is, well, it, it's slightly terrifying. I mean, it's, it's exciting too, depending on your growth mindset. Notice how I'm excited there. But it is, it's a whole different thing. And, and things seem to be speeding up as well. What do you think it means for you know, people who've been in the workforce, you know, probably about 20 years by now, they're in their 40s. What's the future look like for them, do you think? So I can speak about myself because I'm in my late 40s already. <laughs> and uh, uh, I think startup life really mitigates aging and grows your neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. So as a startup founder or as a member of a hybrid team, I learned how to interact with people, different cultures. So it's about cultural and social intelligence. So I must be really, really agile and flexible and uh, uh, develop high, uh, high speed of reaction to every trigger, to everything that's happening in the world, because IT world is highly competitive. There are huge companies who are probably building the same product and I wouldn't know about it before they release it. So I must work fast, think fast, meet the right people who could 
amplify our mission, who could join the team. I should be able to to understand these people, whether we are a good match, even on on my human level, on the level of that feeling without using any psychometric tests or or anything. So the velocity matters, uh, creativity, critical thinking, and I'm really enjoying this startup life. So there's a lot of agility and um, being a lifelong learner and being a very curious person, I think I found my sweet spot for at least for the next five years, I don't know what happens next after it. <laughs> so this is my lifestyle at the moment. I'm really enjoying it. I wonder though, are you the exception? And you, you know, I think more people will struggle with this sort of this kind of change. Or do you think that we just all need to get on board? Because I'm thinking about, say, for example, you know, women who've taken a career break and are are trying to get back into the workforce and haven't sort of come across all the things and they haven't kept current in the way that you have. So, you know, here's this new world where technical skills are maybe not as important, but soft skills are becoming more important. And maybe they have more of them, but they don't realize they do and they need help to sort of bridge the gap. Yes. So I think, especially mothers, returning to their jobs after a maternity leave have a really high potential, probably the highest potential to grow their careers building on their soft skills because when we bring children to this world we learn communication skills we start talking to a person who doesn't speak at all we do dispute resolution if you have two kids (laughs) oh yes we do time management because we don't want to forget about ourselves and showering and eating during the day (laughs) (laughs) there's a high agility and well, you name it, creativity, how you entertain. Yeah. Negotiation, getting them to go to bed on time. Oh, yes. Negotiation <laughs> skills. Yes. And critical thinking. Well, why is he crying? Is he sick? Or do you need to see the doctor? Can you do it yourself? <laughs> A hot drink could fix it, probably. So, critical thinking, observation, high empathy. So, I would call it the whole array of soft skills are better developed during the maternity leave. So, these women become the best managers because they are used to being busy. They come back to the corporate world. They know they have to accomplish every task before five because you need to go back home and feed the baby or collect the child from, from the kindergarten. So they're highly organized, but somehow they are undervalued. And some employers think, well, this woman has had a gap in her professional career. She has forgotten everything. She needs to be trained. I think on the contrary. So the woman is empowered by soft skills. And it's a good time to to even switch careers or to rotate in the same company between different departments. You can move from sales to marketing to logistics, whatnot. Try another role because you, you had a gap anyway. So you are ready to learn new professional skills be it your space or a new space yeah i think we all recognize having been in that situation i think we all recognize that and those skills that you build up in that scenario and how valuable they are and how they can benefit an organization but i think most women would be afraid to even mention that in an onboarding situation or an interview or anything and actually would feel they'd be looked down on for those skills as being something that you could present as making you a fit for a job, Yeah, which I is think a real shame. Yeah, it's not seen as serious. 
because it isn't yeah. in a work context. And and I'm hoping that, so for example, with Reputy, I'm really interested to hear like how this would be evidenced because I think that's the piece, which is we know the evidence is there. And, and as you said, Caroline, all three of us, you know, we have children. We know exactly what you're describing, Lena. But mm. how do you evidence that in a way that a recruiter or a potential employer would consider meaningful? Yes. So now back to the product. <laughs> <laughs> We're hoping your product is going to solve everything because, <laughs> I mean, I hear all the time people can't get the right jobs, but also more importantly, not more importantly, but from the other perspective, almost mirror image that people, they can't recruit <laughs> the right people. How are you planning to do that? <laughs> so Reputy is an app that lives in your phone and that collects evidence literally around the clock. So we're used to writing diaries or recording our life experiences in social media or sharing our experiences in social media. So these are the existing habits that we humans practice already. And uh, we're not inventing anything new. So we are creating a container for all the facts, for all the events in our life that show our soft skills. So for example, it looks like a talent wallet. So sorry, maybe digress into the framework. So it's a talent wallet. We're talking about soft skills and skills in general as the new currency. If you remember, our skills are our currency. These are our bills and our coins inside that lives, live inside our app. So if you think about the bank cards in the wallet in your phone, so it looks like a set of cards, NetWest, Barclays, Tesco. So you open the card and you see all the transactions on the card. And this is a record of our history of financial transactions. So in Reputy, every card would be a skill. So let's take communication card. You can upload any type of content that shows your communication skills. It could be a video recording of our conversation today. It could be a photo with other people who witnessed you practicing the skill. Could be a case study. Could be the result of a psychometric test. Could be a certificate after completing a course or um, a video endorsement, TikTok style. Could be a um, social media post from Instagram that will be automatically linked to your card. So literally anything that showcases the skill. And we practice soft skills from the clock. So it, we, we do this outside of the working hours. But when I come home and I cook a creative dinner, this is about my creative skills, probably. Or if I work for a charity shop, it's probably about empathy. Or if I prepare a trip for my friends to go to the Highlands, this is about leadership. And we'll be given prompts how to spot these soft skills in everyday life. If you are using a Nike app and you exercise every day, it's focus, it's perseverance. So it's a skill, but it doesn't belong to the professional domain. So we'll help people create a set of cards that are specifically needed for the role that they want to apply or to grow their career. So if you want to become a manager, then AI will bring you the set of skills most sought for, for, for the managerial role and the cards will be created automatically. By using AI for this, just to, to make life easier and it will be connecting rapidly with social media and apps that 
could bring evidence of the soft skills. So ideally, it's a it's a lazy process when you do something, you get a notification. Would you like to add this event in your life to, to a certain card? And you just click yes. Or would you like to describe the situation and put it onto your card? And say yes. So no hard work. It should be very, very organic, like your personal family album or a portfolio of um, events and cases from your lifestyle that would be uh, presented in a structured way to your employer or to the investor to showcase yourself as a well-rounded personality. What we see now is just one or two lines in our CVs saying that, well, I'm a good team worker and uh, empathetic and so on, but there's no evidence and psychometric tests don't show the consistency of skill. They can be faked. So we are thinking about being real, but about being also honest about the skills that you don't possess. And this is an insight that we got from our Gen Z team members. They say, well, if I don't like public speaking, I don't want to be forced onto the stage. And I want my employer to be aware of it. Because if they push me, I will have a burnout, I'll be stressed, and I'll quit my job. Okay. So do they record themselves weeping in that scenario and add it to their wallet to warn employers of that? scenario or do they just not add it is that the idea edit or they might may put like low public speaking skills or i'd better avoid this in my job and this would be a very honest approach instead of faking the skill and just selling yourself into the job and then you'll be assigned to do a presentation and you hate it and nobody's happy you're aiming this at the moment the app at sort of students and new graduates? It's one of the target segments because we discovered that recent graduates, students and people who are switching their careers at any age have a trouble of applying for jobs because they have a zero or limited working history in the same yeah. role. So they are hired for potential and employers want to see the personality. They don't care about the degrees. They want to see whether this person is a fast learner, whether they are compatible with the rest of the team, are they motivated? So it's all about the personal and soft skills. So this is one group that we are addressing. That person who's willing to learn, is willing to communicate, has potential yes. essentially. Yes, to show that you're a good material, as they say. Again. Yeah. A good wife material or a good founder material. You're the <laughs> material for this role. <laughs> and you can be... Oh, shaped. I'm glad there wasn't an app for good wife material when I was approaching uh, <laughs> that. You can use it for different reasons. You can use it. <laughs> so whether I'm a good material for a role. And another segment is people who are aspiring in their careers. They are already working in the company, but they want career growth. And they want to justify their intention and to prove that they deserve the role. And I heard a lot from big companies that women really struggle to apply for career promotion. They feel underestimated, underprivileged. They are more like indecisive to do so. And uh, whereas men are trusted into their new positions, they don't have to prove anything. Women have to prove This is literally a quote from a a huge corporation, UK-based. And they say, well, we'd love to use the tool to help women evidence 
their managerial and leadership skills to transition into their new position. And it's all about the transparency and fairness. So if you can prove then you have more chances to be promoted, not by gender. I, I like this idea because I, I really recognise that that aspect of how women feel and, and about self-promotion and that it is very it's very hard to do. And if you've not grown up with a natural confidence or society has given you a natural confidence, I need the klaxon. I'm going to say the word patriarchy. But, um, you know, if that hasn't been instilled in you, then or even if you're just somebody who finds it hard to just speak up about themselves and push yourself forward or promote yourself in some way, then this gives a much easier way to do it, a quieter way to do it that would suit a lot of people, I think. Yes, true. And a lot of companies would like to bring more transparency into their hiring and promotion process. They want equality, leveling the playing field. And um, how can they prove that this person was fairly promoted into a new position? And this app is one of the tools that would support this decision. And if you look at the Web3 space, which I'm pretty well familiar with as a co-founder of another startup, um, it's all about visibility and transparency. So the same way as people see transactions in other wallets, they don't see the people, but they see the, the public address of the wallet. And you can see how much money a person spent and where the money went to. So the same they want to see in, in the hiring and firing process. So they want the visibility of the whole team, especially uh, during mergers and acquisitions, if it's an equity hire. So the new business owner wants to see the, the team, all the skill sets and who does what and how they can rotate people, who must be fired, who they want to keep. So this skill set becomes a real asset for a company. And it increases the company valuation. Mm. So if we look at it from the financial angle and mergers and acquisitions, people become an asset and a measurable asset. You can say we have, I don't know, 10 people with high critical thinking skills, 50 people with creative skills, and this is our team. Puts a high value on transferable skills. Is that what you're saying? It's it helps them really understand who the right players are. So it's and I really recognize that to having done lots of mergers and acquisitions is it's a very hard to tell from the company that you're acquiring who the right people are to keep and on board because they're the right people, they have the right skills, they're the right fit. You know, it's all those pieces that you're trying to work out, which is what does the new team look like and how does that match the existing team? And you know, it's really complicated and it's hard to do when you have a very limited amount of time to be able to see um, what they're capable of. And it's under an extremely difficult situation. It's extremely stressful um, for everybody. If people are in a role, a particular role, and that's all they're being judged on, it's not really seeing the potential that they could do in a, a new organization. And I think that that is also in a non-merger situation as well. I think people become very known for the role that they do within an organization. They can't evidence how they could work in other roles and it's very hard to do that because they've worked in a certain department for 20 years maybe they would like to do something else how can they show those skills yes exactly thank you for for this comment because understanding the skill set also helps 
companies to improve the retention rate. So mm. those employees, as you say, who are tired of the same role and thinking about yeah. switching, so they would probably stay in the same company if they were offered another role. And if the talent manager fully understands this and the skills are credentialed, they could offer another role, so they don't have to hire a, a new person. And I'll give you an example of, of what we're doing now. So we are shaping our software and engineers team, and we're partnering with a coding school in London. We are onboarding interns who are in their junior software engineering roles. They're still studying. They have one year of coding experience, sometimes two. They don't know all the languages. And majority of these people are career switchers. So they have medical background, photography, arts, graphic design, sometimes without any profession, but they are very agile, very quick in thinking. And when I was interviewing these people this week, I understood, well, this is a real treasure hunt. So I discovered beautiful personalities who are learning new technical skills on top of something that they already know. So I'm not onboarding a software engineer, but I'm meeting a photographer plus engineer with a good taste and a good eye for details. I'm employing a doctor with coding skills who understands people and who can decode the message who can explain what needs to be done, what kind of treatment must be done. So he's really good in, in expressing his thoughts and he's very attentive uh, to details, which is important. So it's not like a framed person who can only code and who knows three programming languages. It is a well-rounded person and we're giving them a chance to become part of the team and to utilize themselves in, in full capacity. This feels like a really valuable tool to add to like a recruiter's toolkit, because just listening to you talking about interviewing these people, it got me thinking about different kinds of interview techniques. What I'm observing, and I want to sort of see if if I'm sort of getting the right idea, is that the space that Reputee, for example, and, you know, who knows what's coming after that, is sort of is filling is... Like you say, it's creating this transparency around, you talked about personal intelligence, sort of the implied information that you get in a CV where someone says, oh, I, I like rock climbing. There's an implication there as to what that means and what sort of attributes a kind of person who does that is like. So if the interviewer thinks to ask, they'll ask. If they don't, they might miss something that's really important. So like you were saying about perseverance and dedication, you know, someone who does that kind of a sport, you know, is also likes adventure and is probably quite a curious person. So, you know, there's things that are implied that are become becoming surfaced by all the different ways that you can evidence, you know, your skills. And I also really like how it's acknowledging the whole person. And it's it, sort of like you were saying, like it it's taking those things that when we were talking about um, women coming back from maternity leave, all these different skills they've learned, it's acknowledging and making transparent and valuing that all these things that you learn in life well, how is life different to a work context? And it's sort of extending that work context to everywhere. Because I think until recently, we think of what you learn at work is what's valuable and what you learn outside of work is, well, whatever. It's kind of interesting, but not very useful. But I think what you're doing is you're you're creating the, the envelope around which all these things become relevant and then become valued. Is that sort of the right way to think about it? Yes, and uh, you explained it beautifully because that was the idea. And when we 
we're creating the design of our logo, I was thinking about metaphors. So what is reputable for another person? And I was thinking about the lens that makes it close up into the personality and certain aspects of our identities. We have multiple identities, but we are a whole as a person. It's also a mirror that helps you reflect yourself or project yourself onto the working environment or to create certain or to create a rapport with another person who's hiring you and uh, it also shows the full spectrum of light if you looked at the at the sphere at the logo because we are multifaceted we are not just you know <laughs> accountants or writers we have many talents and it's also a sphere a dynamic sphere that can show different angles and different situations and it can it can also grow it can shrink and it can change shape a little bit or colors so it's something very very agile and holistic and multifaceted so it's all about the personality and it, it's one of the future of work trends focusing on the whole person I wonder what you think about this, Lena. I do think there's a risk too that, because, you know, by nature, humans are quite judgmental. And so, you know, with something like, you know, an app that, you know, you're tracking all this information that's open and shared. I remember sort of whatever it was 10, 15 years ago when people started posting on Facebook, recruiters would actually, and they, it's common practice now, would go and look at people's Facebook to make sort of some choices and some decisions about, you know, what kind of person they are. You know, what your app is going to do is is really bring all that together. Is there a danger that unless we educate people who are recruiting as to like what good recruitment looks like, you're just going to end up with people being really judgmental and discounting people for all kinds of different reasons? Yes, well, we can't avoid this bias because um, the real life experience shows the gender and the ethnicity and the age and everything about you. And we're thinking that, that our app will be used at a second stage of the interview when you actually set up a meeting with a person, be it in Zoom or in person, so you, you will see the personality anyway. And uh, we just add another data point about the person. So along with everything that will be said during the interview in this highly stressful environment, decision-making, <laughs> life-changing one hour of interview. So we'd like to show the person in a less stressful everyday life when they show the skills, when they act normally without thinking about the consequences. So I do agree we can't avoid the bias and we can't do it differently because we are, we are showcasing real life. We can't mm -hmm. face, well, we can distort the voice. We can probably modify the faces with AI, but maybe it doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's just another scary idea. So where do you think recruitment is going, Lena? Where do you think the future is? How do you think it's going to play out in... I don't know, the next 10 years, maybe. I don't even know if you know the answer. I don't know the answer, but I have my observations. <laughs> so it is becoming more automated on the one hand and very transactional. If you're hiring, especially junior people, if you need thousands of people for the call center or for sales, then it would be more transactional. On the, on the other hand, the process is humanizing. So if you want to recruit quality people, uh, you spend more time on them. Of course, you use the software tools, but you also try to 
educate yourself as a psychologist to better understand people and um, to be fair to, to the candidates and almost removing your own identity from the conversation because uh, as we discussed before we mirror other people who look the same like us or who have the same story or some same background so removing yourself from the equation come into the uh, conversation as a blank slate with a list of questions about trying to make an objective assessment of another person so i think this is another trend so the the human side of recruitment mm. but of course uh, recruiters have their own kpis so the speed to hire the quality of candidates the retention rates and then diversity of thoughts so all these commercial kpis that you can't avoid because they, they influence the business performance but on the other hand every business relies on people hugely especially when the teams are reduced a lot of roles are replaced by ai so every team needs quality people and teams need a better understanding of, of the candidates of their potential teammates and they don't want to make mistakes they don't want to lose time on hiring and firing which is very frustrating so they're understanding the personality so bringing the personal intelligence into the scene of recruitment is, is really really important that element of mirroring that you picked up again is just so dangerous in recruitment. Well, it just eliminates diversity and inclusion and anything you can do to make the workforce more diverse and more fair is, you know, it's just a better way forward. I mean, that feels like a huge advantage. Yeah. And that got me thinking about people in the second half of their career, because I was thinking when you were talking about recruiting Gen Z, the one statistic I did pull out in terms of unemployment rates, when you look at it, Gen Z are at 12.3%. So they're the highest at the moment as of July 2023. So they're the highest um, unemployment rate. So it makes sense to focus on them. And then the next sort of highest group is 25 to 34. So again, you know, young people are really, they're struggling, you know, more than, than other groups. Groups, which is logical, right? Because people in the second half of their career um, have been around for a long time. They have a lot of skills. They have a lot to offer. But We've it's also settled as well. Yes. <laughs> True. Or got stuck. Just depends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, a lot of them would have families in their 30s and probably kids. So mm. a different life stage. New and it's, you make different career choices because of those practicalities. So yes. it is very different. So I think what I sort of see is that people in their second half of their careers are going to struggle to engage with this new kind of recruitment. So I'm just wondering, like, have you any thoughts about how they might prepare themselves or how, you know, people, you know, over 40 can start embracing this or getting involved in it somehow? I think being conscious of your talents, of your capacity, skills, and also being honest about your life purpose, about your passion are key things. So if you can bring yourself as a personality to the recruiting conversation and uh, tell the truth instead of being in, in a survival boat, so to speak, and trying to grab just any job. So being honest with yourself and with the recruiter would be the best thing. And um, in the second half of the career, time really matters so we start feeling time it flows very very fast so you can't notice it a day or a week uh, and it's gone so time becomes a big asset and um, with respect to time we really want to find the jobs that would bring a lot of satisfaction every day and that would help us interact with the people we admire 
and we can learn from and we can also share our knowledge with because this is this master or teaching stage when we can give back to society, we can teach junior people and it brings a lot of joy to to senior level people. That's what I see. So I think just Yes, be being honest with yourself, not not making fast decisions, but looking around, respecting yourself, time, and just finding the path that will make you happy, and hence uh, your family will see you coming uh, back happy. So, well, must... that is the best way to mentor it's... the next generation, isn't it? If your children can see yes. you engaged and impassioned in your role, then they're more likely to seek that kind of environment themselves whereas if you've had a parent who has clocked in and clocked out in whatever role they do and hasn't really enjoyed it you know you're going to think that that is what work is and I totally get that it's funny though I think people in the second half of their lives might be afraid as you say Eve about this type of recruitment process this whole conversation has got me thinking about how you can think of yourself differently. Because you were saying earlier, Eve, about the example of somebody might put rock climbing down as one of the things they're interested in and, and an interviewer could pick up on that. Now, I don't think anybody over 40 puts their hobbies, if they've even got hobbies. I mean, most of my hobbies involve slumping in front of the television at the end of the day, you know, depending on um, my stress levels. But generally, I wouldn't say... I don't know how you could make that sound good. Anyway, uh, well, I enjoyed downtime. But no, seriously, I was thinking about the rock climbing and how you this wonderful interpretation of, of what that means. And then I started thinking about how can you look at yourself and apply those principles? So, for example, last year I made a quilt. I'd never made a quilt before. I do so. I like making things. I know I talk about a lot about that on this podcast. And I was thinking, well, what does that say about me? Because I approached this project having never made one before and it was quite a big project. And I was thinking about how, well, I really, I thought, well, I'd like to make a quilt. But first of all, I just started off, I bought some nice bits of fabric and I very quickly worked out that I didn't have enough fabric. That's your first quilting error. And so I applied some problem solving. And I also worked out that the fabric that I bought was very expensive because it was very beautiful. And the size of a quilt to cover the bed was going to cost me a lot of money, which I didn't want to spend. And so I went and bought some plain, much cheaper fabric to extend the quilt. And I thought that was that was very good problem solving and quite good, you know, budgeting. in terms of bud budgeting. And then obviously, but the plain fabric did look a bit plain. So I worked out I did some embroidery I embroidered this long phrase and pictures of plants and everything in the middle and it was a fine attention to detail is all I can say and perseverance I, oh, oh my god perseverance I worked very hard I have a very good work ethic but also this whole process you know when I'd finished the front I still had to line it and I had to do the back and I had to get some material for the back and I couldn't get the original material so I had to go and source some alternatives thinking about the cost and then I made all the little scraps of material and I sewed them all together to make the binding and this project took me a year and I think that shows a lot of skills all of these soft skills we're talking about I wouldn't put on my CV 
I like making quilts because let's face it, I've made one and it took me a year and I haven't made another one since. But I am very proud of that project. And actually, I think it demonstrates all the things I'm really good at in terms of creativity and critical thinking and problem solving and negotiation, delivering things on time and budgeting, etc. So if we all took this approach to ourselves, we could probably represent ourselves a lot better. I really like your example and attention to details as well. Oh, massive attention to detail. <laughs> I mean, have we talked about all the soft skills? Because we've talked about time management, communication, negotiation, dispute resolution, empathy, of course. Mm-hmm. What, what other soft skills should we be thinking about? Collaboration. Well, it's teamwork. Yeah. And notes as well. Personal learning and mastery. So Yes. Being able to learn something quickly and consistently. Achievement focus, cultural and social intelligence. So these three uh, will be really important in the next five years. So these are my takeaways from different reports. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all of them. And the way you reframed your hobby, your project experience is really useful. I, I had a session, an improvisation session with artist community the other day. And I was asking them, well, how do you present yourselves to the record studios, to your clients uh, when you're hired for a project to create some music or art? And they say, well, we'll, we'll just send the link to our portfolio. I say, what do you say about yourselves? Well, we don't know, but they look at our music. And then we started digging into their daily life and what they do and other hobbies. And I said, well, how about putting it differently through the lens of soft skills? Aren't you practicing this active listening when you're talking to your uh, potential customer who wants you to record music for the new cider brand? So when you have active listening, then you, you ask the right questions, you repeat what has been said, you show some focus. And they started thinking, oh, really? How about time management? which is important for freelancers. If they don't deliver on time, the the new commercial campaign won't be launched. So this is just a different angle of thinking about skills through your hobbies or through your daily rhythms. Literally, uh, how often you cook or go for a walk or your Mm. shop. Do you shop in the nearest shop or do you go and analyze the prices and the assortment in a variety of shops this is a skill purchasing skill and wow i I never thought of it this way this is really fascinating i've thought of another one for my quilts as well because of course i didn't start with a pattern i just bought these nice bits of fabric but i looked at them and i thought what can i do with them and it didn't phase me i didn't need a pattern and actually For many years, I worked as a consultant working on digital media projects where people would often have the germ of an idea and I would help them shape it into a kind of strategy or a product. It never really phased me that there was this sort of messy stage that wasn't very well formed. And I guess my quilt is another version of that, really. It's just another way of looking at your experience, isn't it? Yeah, and that's adaptability, flexibility, problem solving. It's all sorts of things. Just to say, this episode is not me putting out to recruiters all my great skills. I am literally just talking about my quilt. You're just looking for a quilting a quilting bee. Give a quilt friends. Yeah. Your story is about both professional and the quilt story is about working with raw material literally, and foggy ideas. So yeah. you 
you apply your creativity, sometimes problem solving and other skills in order to shape this material into something new or useful for the real life. It's literally the same skill. If you're a venture architect, a consultant or a tailor, or (laughs) same skill. I I tell you, I'm never looking at that quilt in in the same way again. (laughs) The metaphor. And it's interesting, too, because there's a certain level of mastery that comes with experience. And I'm a big fan of mastery, actually, because I've worked with many people who've done the same job for many years. And the reason the job was easy for them is because they had mastery. And that's really valuable. That's something that you can take anywhere if you're going to do the same sort of job. It takes years of dedication to get to that level. And it is so valuable, right? I think there's also... It's recognizing the different skills, like the mastery and who is the expert in the room, but also who is the person that can take those people who have those skills and deliver a project or represent a team or manage a team. They're all different skills and they're all valuable. Yes. And this fast learning skill and being able to be open to new knowledge and to receiving knowledge and experience from other people is also a skill. So being a porous personality is open to everything. So you can inhale new thoughts, new ideas, new professions, and it shows your flexibility as well. One question we like to ask all our guests, and this is why the podcast is called The Right Side of 40, because we want to celebrate all the things that are good about this half of our careers, and we want to see it as a positive and reframe it. So we like to ask everybody, do you feel on the right side of 40? Yes, I do. Absolutely. It looks like a new life for me. So (laughs) building new synapses in my brain, feeling really agile, I think it makes me healthier, not only in, in, in terms of mental health, but in general. So I, I feel much younger. Wow. So you're going backwards. You're getting younger I'm now. <laughs> That's what soft skills do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they make you younger. Definitely. Well, we can't thank you enough for coming to talk to us today and taking time out of your very busy schedule, building this new revolutionary product. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for inviting me. What a beautiful conversation. I I learned a lot from you. (laughs) We learned so much from you. Thank you so much, Lena. It's been amazing. Likewise. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, let us know about it. We also want to hear what you've been up to since turning 40. Get in touch on our website, rightsideof40pod.com. Follow us on Twitter at RightSide40, Instagram at RightSideOf40Pod, and Facebook at the Right Side of 40 Podcast. All content is arranged by Eve and Caroline. And a big thank you to Terry and V. Neal for writing, performing, and mixing the original music.